Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Okay, everybody, welcome here tonight. Tonight is going to be our 33rd trip. Log, so log volume share over here. And again, I want to always start off thanking everybody who comes every week and for telling everybody about it and putting it on their WhatsApp statuses and emailing. We, me and Menachem are getting every week more and more tremendous feedback, emails. We get emails from therapists, from people. And a lot of people are getting chizik from it. Um, so I just want to say thank you for everybody who's knowing it. For anybody who's watching the, this, this on YouTube, the real one, uh, please click on the subscribe to Menachem button. Also, subscribe to Coach Menachem's channel so you get anytime there's a new video upload, you get it. And also click on the like button. We would greatly appreciate it. I want to first start off with thanking our advertising sponsors. First, Lakewood Scoop for every week advertising here in Lakewood. It's mostly a Lakewood crowd over here. Big, big part of it is Lakewood. This week, maybe not. We'll see who wins. It might be a little bit more Milwaukee this week, but uh, we do have a big Lakewood crowd. And a special thank you to Rabbi Yanif from Chazak for also promoting us all the Chazak networks. And a special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCN Jewish Content Network for always promoting us across all the digital platforms. As Robert Twersky has been plastered all over the, all the digital media. That's why people are coming here, and a lot of but we want to thank you for that. Next Sunday, we have a very powerful shear uh, with Rabbi Fischer Schechter, world renowned Machanach. He's going to be giving a shear on Chanach uh, Lenar Pidarka, how to give specific attention to children when you have more than one kid in the family. And it should be very, uh, should be very intriguing, and it should be very, very uplifting. We had a little pre meeting with him this week with Menachem, and uh, we're very excited for that. Uh, tonight's show, again, we're going to be trying to focus on how to recharge ourselves, learning how to connect more with Hashem on different levels, tefillah and all different yonim. We're going to have the Chosher Rabbi Tversky here from Milwaukee, the, the, the Rav of the Ganser Stadt, and we'll get into it. Uh, let's start off first with our host, Coach Menachem. Opening words, Divrei Psicha. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone, to another show, and let's get real with Coach Menachem. And uh, I do want to thank you all, all the listeners, for your feedback. The positive ones, the constructive criticism, uh, all is welcome, and for all the sponsors, anonymous sponsors that sponsor MenachemBurnfield.com, we you can find all the, the the replay of all the shows. And thank you, Rabbi Tversky, for giving us giving up from your precious time to be with us tonight. So tonight's topic, Torah Mitzvahs, our Levish, we're doing it all, but are we missing the point? So the question is. What is the point before we try to figure out what we're missing? You know, what is it that we're looking for? And it is a very good question. And that's one of the things that we do over here. We get together when things calm down a little bit, Sunday nights, when it's a little bit quiet, and we find a place where we can get some physic awareness, some tips and ideas, and basically to zoom out from our day-to-day -day life, from the road, from the, from the rat race that we're busy running and running. So we come here, take a deep breath, and we try to figure out what are we looking for. And this is what we're trying to figure out every week with something else. I once had a discussion with a Balshuva about how us Jews, most of us, Grow up, grow up in the system, the environment, the school, the shul, pretty much we 
we Drezach, we are in the in the same we're all the same do the same things we look the same and he looked at me and said wow it's really beautiful it's it's amazing and i was trying to convey a little bit of the challenges a little bit of the negative side but he was seeing the positive and i was i had to catch myself that he's looking at from the other side sometimes by a shabbos table our own kids are not so interested, they don't see the beauty. And you could have a guest over, sometimes somebody not from, or sometimes it could be even a guy or somebody, and they could bring out the light. And, and they could say words like, by us, we never get together like this. As a family, for, a, for an hour or two, no phones, just sitting around the table, talking and singing. It, and, and our kids could hear that and say, oh, <laughs> we didn't look at it that way. So we do have it beautiful and amazing, Baruch Hashem. However, it can be a challenge for us if our mother is the one that put us on the tzitzis when we were three. And by the 13, our father put us on the hat. And when we get married, our shver puts us on the strimal. So the question is, where are we in the picture? What are we doing? So what we really need to do is stop and start again. Now, don't be scared. I'm not telling anybody to stop what they're doing. Um, you should continue. But what we really have to do is we need to change. Uh, you should continue doing what in the outside, what you're doing. But really, what's going on inside, we need to change the mindset, change things, the way we look at things. Instead of doing things mindlessly, we need to start looking at things mindfully. And that can be a challenge. Um, first of all, our mind is a very powerful tool. And when we go to an environment that we're used to, our mind thinks the same way. I'm thinking about even in shul. You walk into the shul every day, three times a day in the same shul. And you, you look around. Your thoughts are basically the same. So how do we change our thoughts? I do recommend for people, they should change their seat in shul just to see how that feels, different people around them, just to see if for some people it's hard, they're not gonna be able to daven because they're not used to it. But that's also good to realize that when you're on your seat, it's, it's easier, it's better. For some people, they'll daven better. Maybe sometimes go to a different shul. For some people, it might be better. Some people not, but the, just the awareness, just the new environment, or try to do something that you're scared to do. This is all discussing how our brain works and we could challenge our brain and learn new things by um, doing new things, thinking new ways, new environments, new ideas. So hopefully tonight with the rabbi, Rabbi Tversky, I know you're out of town and uh, it might be your, your mind might think differently the way we think in towners so hopefully tonight we'll get some ideas, different ways of looking at things, and Amit Hashem will be able to grow and find the point that we're looking for, Amit Hashem. Thank you, Coach Menachem. Beautiful opening. Um, tonight's show, we're going to do a little nishmas. My father knows Zeich Nishmas, Reb Tuvia ben Reb Yosef. Reb knows very well, so it's very apropos. The from the Shir, from all the hundreds of people already, almost 400 people here, Reb Tversky, and the thousands of people that watch it again. I'm going to read Rabbi Tversky's bio for anybody who doesn't know who Rabbi Tversky is. 
Rabbi Ben-Zion Tversky returned, returned to Milwaukee in 1989 to assist his father, Remichel, in Milwaukee Rab, Rab, to be the rabbi. He marked the beginning of the third generation of the Tversky leadership of congregation Beth Yehuda. Schooled at the Yeshiva of Philadelphia and then in Babav, he steadily increased the range of teaching into the general community, stepped in traditions of Hasidus in general, and through the close personal relationship that was developed with his great uncle, the Babur of Rebensian, has been able to bridge generations and to bring clarity, a purpose, and joy in doing it to his teachings. He is the founding member of the Milwaukee Coil. Rebetorsky has lectured and, and served as a scholar in residence at Shabbatones, Los Angeles, Denver, Chicago, Omaha, Baltimore, Phoenix, as well as Milwaukee. Uh, in his yeshiva in the Koyal years, he published manuscripts that reverted the interest of Reb Matchedoiv of Hornsteipel in two volumes with both enabling footnotes and indexes. Reb Tversky founded con the consistently growing Tversky tape series, which found a great success in touching Jews throughout the world. His interest in music in general and his father's music in particular led to the production of two major concerts in Milwaukee. The first one, which was featured in the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra, the recordings of the music was produced in Israel by the, Isra by the Israel Philharmonic Orchestra. In addition to the recording, he has recorded three CDs of Michal's compositions. His Rebetzin, Chani Mazels, is a gifted teacher and counselor, and the mother of eight remarkable children who, even at their young age, give promise of leadership for many generations to come. The community is fortunate to have him serving as the, the congregation and Shep Nachas to continue growth, which he displays in every area of his Rabbanus. And on Torah Anytime, if anybody ever looks it up, Rabbi Twisky has over 500 shirim over there. Uh, please give a please give a look at it. It's, there's some amazing shirim there. Rabbi Tversky, the floor is yours. That is one impressive bio. Very impressed. We have the right Rabbi Tversky. Was yours bio or somebody else's? Okay. So the truth is that Rabbi Nachum really asked the, a very, very pointed question at the beginning. And I, I, will, I will tell you what I'm going to share with you um, tonight really are not my, Baruch Hashem, are not my ideas. They're ideas that I gleaned. Um, I'll tell you an incident later on with that, that relates to that. But things that I really saw throughout the years in Sifri Kodesh and Sifri Chesidus in particular. The question of what is the point, right? If we're missing the point, we obviously first have to focus on what is the point that we're missing. Um, we need to know what it is that we're, we're aiming for. There's an introduction to perhaps the first Chesidish Sefer that was printed, and that was the Toldos Yankiv Yosef was a disciple of the Baal Shem Tov. And in the introduction to his Sefer, he speaks about what the point of Tyron Mitzvah is. And I, I wish someone had learned this with me in, in high school. The goal of it all has to be Dveikas Bashem, has to be cleaving and connecting to our Creator. So no matter what it is that we're doing, and hopefully through the, the questions that, that we're going to hear tonight, there are going to be many different approaches and many different aspects of how it is that we can connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But the goal, the underlying goal in everything we do, in every form of service, has to be Tveikas Basha, has to be connecting to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If that's not the stated goal, both before we start and while we're doing it, and, and even... Um, this Vasemis talks in, in, in one spot about rejoicing and basking in the light after we do it, that we had the incredible privilege of connecting puny little us, have the opportunity to connect to an infinite creator, that it should lead a person to such incredible joy, such a sense of privilege to the degree where, where the Sifra is right, 
that it would be worthwhile for a person to come into this world, to suffer through all of life's travails, all of life's tzaras, to perform one mitzvah, to, for a human being to be able to exist in this world, to have the, it, it, there, there are no words to describe the amazing privilege of a human being being able to correct to connect to an infinite creator. So I want to share with you a story. And the story perhaps is the greatest illustration of what it is that perhaps will be repeated tonight many times. I heard the story once about a maskil. Okay, a maskil is a, a term that perhaps we're not so familiar with any longer. But there was a time when people were throwing off the shackles of, of the burden of Yiddishkeit. And one of the ways that allowed them to do that was becoming a free thinker. They're no longer burdened by the, the old uh, limited uh, perspective of, of having to serve HaKadosh Baruch or believing, believing in these old, you know, the, all, the, all this old stuff where we're free thinking people and they threw off all the shackles. And there was a Yid in Galicia, Poland, who really wanted to be a very accomplished Moscow. He didn't just want to be an average Moscow. He was a perfectionist. So he really wanted to learn the, the, the mindset and the practices of what it really means to be an accomplished Moscow. And he heard that in Vilna, that there was the, the teacher of all the Moscow. He was, he was the professional Moscow. So this poor Jew schlepped himself all the way from Poland made this incredible journey all the way to, uh, to Vilna. It took him weeks to get there. And he arrives in Vilna and he gets there on a Thursday night and he checks in and says, I want to come and spend, I'm sure he didn't say, I want to spend the Shabbos with you. I want to spend the weekend with you to learn how to be a good Moscow. So the fellow was uh, very gracious, invites him in, provides him with a room. He wakes up late. Of course, there was no need to wake up for Shachris. He wakes up late on, on Friday and he smells the aroma of farfel tzimis and maiden tzimis and chicken soup and, and chul being prepared. He's very bewildered because this wasn't the deal. He expected uh, whatever it was, a sushi or something, but not, uh, not chulnt and giggle. So he's very disturbed and he, he gets up and he looks in amazement at what's going on and, 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 and the table is set for Shabbos with, with beautiful white tablecloth and lecht and silver and, and all the kinds of things with, with bechers and fine wines and he's completely confused, but then his host, the great Moscow says, would you like to come with me to the mikveh? So, what kind of Moscow is this? He says, the mikveh, and he goes to the Schwitz and then he goes to the mikveh and he comes home and he says, come, let's go to Sheol. We're going to Sheol. We go, they go not to the short, the quick minion, but he goes to the long minion where they sing the long Lechodaydi and the chazan gargles by Kigavna. And, and the, this, this the, takes a long time and they come home and they sit down to a long Shalom Aleichem and a Rebbein Kolelomen and a Neshes Chayel and a Kiddush. He doesn't understand what's going on here. This is what he was giving up. And how can it be that this maskil of all maskilim is teaching him? al he doesn't say anything. Shabbos morning, Nachamon, his host wakes him up, takes him to Dafiyaini. And now it's becoming a little bit much. They go to the Shachris, where they don't just sing Kiloden, they sing the Nigm before Kiloden with Mim Kaimchan and, and the Aliyas and the Rav's Drosha, and he comes home, and they have a long Suda with Chunt and Kishkin and, and all the traditional Matamim and Madamim. By the time it comes to Shalashudis, and the guy sits down to, to Schwartz's herring, 
and uh, and uh, the Ayakichel, he had had it. That's it. He loses his mind and begins screaming at this guy, you're a fraud. You're a fake. You're, I was told that you're a maskal. I slept myself halfway across the world to come learn from you. And this is what you do. He said, what did I do? He said, what do you mean what you did? You took me to the mikvah. We went to the long davening and we went to a daf yoimashir. And then he lists all the grievances that he had about this, this corrupt maskil who led him into these places. And all these. So he says to him, I- I'm sorry, but I enjoy those things. They're geschmack. I like the singing and I like the chadayin. I like the shiurim and I like all the traditional foods. So he says to him, well, at least light a cigarette. So he says, I don't smoke. She so says to him, then light it, lahachis. Do it in spite. He says, lahachis whom? Who am I spiting? Whether the story happened or not is really not relevant. But what this story illustrates is that it is entirely possible for us to go through all the motions, to learn and to daven and to perform mitzvahs and to do everything, and that the master of the world, the Rabbi Nishlael, never enters the picture. It's not about Dveikas Bashem. And unfortunately, that tragic reality has reared its head in our times, perhaps as much or even more than what has happened in the past. And we see the, the simonim of it all over the place. There are now, we have chsidish clothing centers as if the Balshemtov was some kind, some kind of clothing designer. And I don't want to knock as you guys spelled it there. I can't even pronounce it, but the lavush, it's important. It's important because it's how we identify with a certain group who we want to be associated with. But when it becomes the ikr, when it becomes the, what's what's important and we neglect the dveikas basham, then it no longer carries any meaning. And the same happens with so many areas of life. And tragically, and perhaps most tragically, it happens with Torah and Mitzvahs itself. We go through all the motions and it's it lacks the connection. The, the Dveikas Bashem is missing. If we want to address any of these things, we got to go back to the Shirish. We got to go back to the Yisait, which is refocusing our attention on the privilege, the amazing opportunity that we have as a tiny speck of creation to be able to connect. And as the Kedushas Levi writes numerous times, as do others, that a human being can provide a nachas ruach, a sense of pleasure to Kaviyochel, to the Rabbi Shalom, in our physical actions, in our limadotar, in our uttering a tefillah. We have the ability to bring a nachas ruach, to give Hashem some form of nachas and thereby connecting to him, that has to become, once again, the focal point of the Yiddishkeit we practice. If we want to revive it, if we want to restore it, we have to go back to the basics. All right. Okay, Rabbi Dorsky. Where is yours? Let's jump into it. Okay, first, let's, uh, let's take a poll. Let everybody vote on something so we can get everybody pulled in. We can see what we're dealing with. Won't pull in. So I have two questions over here. It's anonymous. Everybody, please vote. We want to see wh- what crowd we're dealing with over here. Where do you get your spiritual connection from? Four choice answer. Either A, davening, B, learning, C, chesed, helping other people, or four, I don't have any spiritual connection. Please choose one of those answers. The second question, the follow-up question is, did today's topic resonate with you? 
We are doing it all, but we are, are we missing the point? Yes, very much. Not so much. I'm still confused. Everybody, please vote. We'll give you five seconds. Robert Twersky, you can see the answers. Nobody else could see it yet. And then we're going to share with everybody. Just very interesting to see what people say. Get to, you get to feel your crowd out. So again, we'll read it one more time. Where do you get your spiritual connection from? Four, four answers to choose from. Second question is, did today's topic resonate with you? We're doing it all, but are we missing the point? Five. Okay, we're going to end the polling and we're going to share it. So Robert Twersky, most people here tonight, 42% of people feel they get the connection to David through davening, 23% through learning, 28% through chesed, 6% have no spiritual connection whatsoever. Number two, very interesting. I'm actually shocked to see this. Did today's topic resonate with you? We're doing it all, but we're missing the point. A whopping 67% of the people here tonight, yes, very, very much. So you have your hands full tonight. 22%, not so much. And 11%, I'm still confused. Okay, so everybody who's here, I don't know who's the first timers or not. The way the program works, it's very interactive. We meant we have the culture of everybody. We've been seeing from Milwaukee. And uh, he probably has heard every Shiloh in the, in the world by now. And you have the host to ask him a question. He wants people to ask him and to be interactive and to feel comfortable. So that's what the program is all about. We got a bunch of questions sent in to us. Me and Menachem went through it. We put it in order. So anybody who wants to ask a question, live questions will go first. And anybody who just wants to text a question, you can text it to me. Asher Parnas, the host. And uh, we'll try to get to it. But again, live questions go first. Robert Twersky, I'll start with the first question to get the island warmed up. And we'll take you, it from there, okay? You take the poll off because I can't see anybody. You have to exit. Exit on your screen. Okay. Got it? Got it. Okay, here we go. First question. I daven three times a day. How can I instill some excitement into my davening? Okay, so I was amazed by the number of people that said they got their fulfillment, uh, their spiritual connection through davening. I'm jealous. I'm, I'm really jealous. It's something that I think for many, but especially for me, is a huge struggle. Having said that, I can tell you that the only time that it's not as much of a struggle is when I prepare for it. I think that there's an unrealistic expectation. People want to roll out of bed and roll into shul and immediately have Ruach HaKodesh on demand. We want to be inspired somehow by overwhelming feeling. You know, we read these stories. It's fascinating because you would art scroll and Feldheim and all these other, they've helped us with these biographies, right? And we read things that are seem to be so distant from us. And then we're frustrated about the fact that we're not having the same experience. Um, once again, from Sifri Kodesh, Ramatul in, in Peleyoyitz writes that the best way for a person to prepare for davening is through Limadatayr. Not only does it help in a, in a sense that's psychological and that it helps a person focus, their focus tools become much sharper because they're learning before davening. But the Chelik HaRuchni of Torah, the, the, the godliness that's contained in all of Torah, invariably is going to inspire a person. But way beyond that, there's, there's almost no area of life that is fulfilling when we don't prepare for it. I don't care if it's in the physical, if it's in the spiritual, whatever it is. Yet when it comes to davening, we weren't fed the tools that we need to be able to appreciate what davening has to offer. There's a, a great safer that came out recently called Tiferes Lomaish. He actually has a bunch of volumes on different topics. But he has a wonderful volume on tefillah that walks us through 
What's the expectation? Going back to what Rabbi Nachum said earlier, what's the point? Why are we doing it? How can we expect to get anything out of davening? If when we walk into davening, we have no clue as to what it is that we're supposed to accomplish. It's like taking a road trip without a destination and then being disappointed that we ended up in the wrong neighborhood. If you don't have a map, if there's no GPS, if there's nothing pointing us in the right direction, how can we expect to arrive anywhere? And in my conversations with people, the vast majority of people have no clue where davening is supposed to be taking them. And then we're disappointed that it's not working for us. So we blame the rabbi, we blame the gabbai, we blame the air conditioning, the candy man, or you fill in the blanks of who it is that we, that it's whose fault it is. But it's never the fault of the person who walked into shul without any expectation of what it is that he wants to accomplish. It's just not realistic. So if we want to accomplish anything, there's fabulous svarim out there. We got to learn about Tvilo. If you read English, there's a wonderful book by Rav Schwab on, that art school printed on, on Tvilo. I mean, there's so many resources, but if we're not going to take the time out, it's, it's simply unrealistic to expect that the results are going to be any different. What, what would you say for people who learn before the evening and they feel the same way? I would say that perhaps they didn't do the other step of trying to find out what it is. Look, there's no question that our generation in particular has an impossible time focusing. I mean, there have been statistics out about how long we can remain with our eyes on the screen without the picture changing every, I don't know what is it, it's a guzma of seconds. And yet we're supposed to walk into shul for a three hour davening and be able to focus. We don't really practice our, our focus capacity and that will help with that. But we have to know where we're going and what, what the destination is. Okay. And it's also that davening could be very long for many people. The less we know about where it's going, the longer it's going to be. I had a, a childhood um, memory that room was very large. I used to go, my grandfather's going to the Rochel, the Fultachanarov used to go up to Tannersville, New York. Tannersville was a uh, the place where the Yekisha community went up. Uh, the, the official, the Rav and the, his family, they used to go up to Tannersville. And I once walked in with my grandfather. I'd come up there for, for Shabbos, and my grandfather pointed to a man that was, we came in, my grandfather was very, very punctual. We came in before Domini. And he says to me, Ben Sian, watch that, that man. There was a man swaying, talus over his head, swaying back and forth in the front of the shul. Throughout the entire davening, I, I kept on looking back, exact same position, swaying back and forth, never sat down, never moved from his spot. My wife and I went for a walk, Shabbos afternoon, after the Suda. We passed by the shul, the window was open, and he was still swaying back and forth. His name was Rebavrom Drizin. He was a Lubavitcher Chosid. And this was his davening, and he's a Kenora, I, I believe that he has he lived well into his 90s. At that time, he was already in his 90s. He had no problem being bored in, during davening. And it's because he put an avoida into knowing what davening is supposed to accomplish, where he's going with it, and and enjoyed every minute of it. It's it, You know what, it, it's a little bit like saying, I, I go to uh, Wyoming several times a year. It never gets bored because the, the beauty, the um, scenery is so staggeringly beautiful. You can't get bored of it. Now, I, I understand from people who live there that they don't see it anymore. But 
for somebody who comes there and visits, it's it's Ayyamanaya. Now, if that's what we're expecting during davening, and we want to see the visions of what we can acquire during davening, it's not going to be boring. It's boring because we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what the stops are. This, what do they call them? Uh, these attraction sites where you can take pictures. There's a whole bunch of them in davening. Trevor, just we have a few live questions. I just want to do a follow-up on tefillah because I'm getting a lot of questions on tefillah from a mother's point of view. I'm a mother and I have many kids work Hashem. I really wanted that I could be able to take time to stop and daven, but it's very difficult to take the time actually in opening the sitter. Can you please guide me to feel more connected? So first of all, the first step is to feel really guilty. That's the first Jewish feeling that's supposed to come about is a tremendous amount of guilt. To promote it? Chas v'shalom. So here's, here's the vart. There are halachas. We all know that there's a, a tradition and Baruch Hashem, Klai Yisrael wasn't created today and there's a Messiah and uh, women with young children are supposed to be paying attention to their children. And they still have a Chiyuv Tfilah. That Chiyuv Tfilah doesn't necessarily manifest itself in a long Shachris or any of the Tfilahs for that matter. We have to have the wisdom to know what's realistic. So to say Birchus HaShachar and the Brochus in the morning and then send the kids off should be an incredible boost and a moment of focus and, and frankly, a moment of intense tefillah for her children. Um, if later on in the day, the opportunity presents itself for her to daven more, and if it's still within this month tefillah, she should daven. If not, to take out a tilim as our, all of our grandmothers did after the things calm down and they said some tilim. But again, let's keep our eye on the ball. The issue is Dveikas Bashem. And if we can frame our day by opening with the Birchus HaShachar and recognizing the, the amazing privilege that, and here we go back to, um, we go back, well, we'll talk about this hopefully a little bit later. Raising kids is not a mundane activity. That too requires Dveikas Bashem, and that too is an opportunity for Dveikas Bashem. So why should somebody feel guilty for, for not davening when they're doing that. I saw yesterday from somebody who said that the reason Yankiv Avinu read the Shema when he met up with Yosef is because up until that moment, he was under the commandment of HaKadosh Baruch Hu of going down to Mitzrayim. So although he may have read the Shema the whole time, he was an Yosef Mitzvah and he was in the Mitzvah of Yosef. He was not commanded to read the Shema. Now that he saw Yosef's face and he already fulfilled his commandment, of going down to Mitzrayim and seeing Yosef. This was the first moment he had to read the Shema as a Bar Chiyuva, to read the Shema as a Mitzvah of Yosef. So he chopped the Mitzvah, he took the Mitzvah at that opportunity. The same thing goes on with, with uh, caring for our children, with uh, you know, so many other opportunities in life that are Mitzvahs unto themselves. So yes, there is a Chiyuv Tefillah. According to some, a woman can even be Yitzvah with Maidani. But let's imagine that she's going to say the Birchus HaShachar. So she should be thrilled about the fact that she was able to put that piece in place and go on to her next mitzvah and then come back to it if she has time. No guilt. Okay, guilt. Let's go to some live questions. Kai, you ready? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I saw it on a positive note that I am sort of taking on myself to dive in more on time in the morning because I've always been sort of a late riser. But... Um, I was the more serious thing is that I was 
sense, and at least with me anyway, a general demoralization, I guess it's maybe the only events in the world, certainly the virus and all that. I mean, yeah, thank God we're getting a vaccine, but uh, you know, just with all with all the events that have happened this past year, I, I don't know. They, I, I don't know if you see that as interfering with people's kavana, you know, just you know, the ability just to keep, um, you know, I, I don't want to say to be besimcha when davening, but to at least, uh, you know, have faith that your your davening is somehow efficacious, that you're you're helping, you're doing what Hashem wants because. You look around, and you, I, I don't know, you just see a certain negativity. So I don't know how you fight that feeling and, and keep that from, you know, preventing any dominating with, you know, good Kavana. You know? Okay, that is yeah. an excellent, excellent question. And I think that every one of us has felt that during this, this time period. I'm reminded of a interaction that I had uh, back a few years in, in Dallas, Texas. I was there for Shabbos. And on Sunday morning, I met with a young man who was very, very depressed. And he was uh, he was a Navy SEAL at one point. And he got divorced. Um, and it was just really down and out. He was having trouble holding down a job. And he the way he posed the question to me was, why is God rejecting me? So very much along the lines of, of what you were just saying, that we all somehow feel like if our was really worthwhile, then Hashem would be making this easier for us. So I said to him, and it was a, it was a, a moment of uh, unusual inspiration, I thought. I said to him, tell me something. When you trained to be a Navy SEAL, and they ran you through all the, they ran, made you do all these various really challenging things, these obstacle courses and going through the mud and the heat. And he was telling me about some of the things that are incredibly difficult things that the, to become a Navy SEAL that a person has to do. I said, did you ever turn to the general who was making you do these things and say, why do you hate me? Why are you making me do these difficult things? Or did you understand that the reason they were doing this was to test our abilities, right? That's why so rather than seeing it as a rejection, one thing is very clear. They never chose me to run the course of being a Navy SEAL. That I can promise you, right? And there's a good reason for it. I wouldn't, you know, my, my Shviga always said to me, when it was the first Yom Kippur, I was married. And my mother-in-law said to me, after looking at me at, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon, she said to me, she's an Auschwitz survivor. She said, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have survived an hour in Auschwitz. There's a reason that he was chosen as a Navy SEAL. Because the Rebbein understood, I'm sorry, his, his generals understood that he can put in the work and overcome these obstacles and turn out to be an incredible soldier. The same applies to us. Rather than looking at these things as insults, we need to have a different perspective. B'chalal about our nisyainis in life. We know we, we are, we're embarrassed oftentimes about some of the challenges that Hashem presents us with. You know, I thought that at this time, I'd be much better. I thought that I would no longer have to struggle with, you can fill in the blanks. You know, I'd be beyond that. I've learned all this Torah. I've done all this davening. I've done all these mitzvahs. I should be beyond the A, B, and C. And what's really going on is exactly the same thing as the Navy SEAL. Hashem is testing us. And Hashem is showing us to rise to the occasion because he believes that we can overcome this. So rather than our society seeing this as an insult, 
I think we need to see it as a compliment that Hashem understands that we're going to navigate through this thing and we're going to do a good job at it. Is it going to be the norm? It's not going to be the norm. But neither is, you know, uh, swimming through a, a river with crocodiles. And they had to do that. So that's kind of been my, my framework through this, this period of time, is that in essence, Hashem is saying to us, you guys are equal to this challenge. We have a lot of pending live questions, but there's some questions I got sent in I really want to cover, okay? Yeah. This is a big topic. Um, so I got similar versions of it. My children have very little interest in Shabbos, Sukkot, Hanukkah, Purim, all the fun things in Yiddishkeit. Can anything be done about it to give my kids a little bit more connection to the Yiddishkeit? I was warned not to get on my soapbox. A, um, a father, this goes back a long time, a father came to see me from, there's a town here in Wisconsin called Kenosha. Oh, you all heard about Kenosha. Kenosha became famous in the, uh, the, the whatever they did down there. Anyway, so he comes up from Kenosha and he asked, I never saw this guy, not, not before and not since. You'll soon, in a moment, you'll see why I never saw him since. So he comes with this very same comment. He says, I don't know what's going on. My, my son, who's a, a young teenager, wants to have nothing to do with his Judaism. So I said to him, what, when did you see this? You know, when, when did this evolve? So he said, you know, that was around the time the Schindler's List had just come out. And they had mandatory classes. They had to watch the movie and then they had all kinds of classes and coursework around, revolving around Schindler's List. So he said it was right around that time. So I said to him, let me ask you a question. Do you keep Shabbos? Is there any semblance of Shabbos? Do you make Kiddush? Is there a meal Friday night? He says, no. I said, what about um, Kashrus? Do you keep Kashrus in your home? He said, no. And I'm, I'm going like, I'm trying to rack my brains for things that might be somewhat attractive to him. And for each one of the things he was, he's answering no. And I said to him finally, so let me get this right. You don't have Shabbos or Yontif in your home. You don't have Kashrus. You don't put on tefillin. The only thing your son knows about his Judaism is that Jews get shoved into ovens and get burnt to a crisp. I wonder why he's not excited about belonging to that club. You know, what are you thinking? Why, why would he be? I think we need to take a really hard look at what, what's the essence of our Yiddishkeit. It goes back to the same question we began with. Is there a, a sense of amazing privilege before we do a mitzvah? Do we call it, call it to the attention of our children? Saying, you know, this is an amazing opportunity that we have that a human being can take a cup of wine that's squeezed from, from physical grapes, place it in their hand on Friday night and testify that the Rebbe created the world and thereby fulfill a positive mitzvah which leads us to Dveikus Bashem. It's there's, there, there needs to be something that is so exciting and so, there's a better word, compelling about our Shemir Samitzvahs that the people around us are going to want to be part of it. If it's so exciting to us, then we, have, we should have every expectation that somebody watching us is going to be equally excited about it and want to know more about it. So again, it goes back to that. I want to, uh, let me, I'm going to go on my soapbox about one issue. Okay, I'm sorry, I can't resist. The world 
has come to a point in, in Yiddishkeit. And the truth is, let me, let me introduce it with something that my father said. I was nine years old, I think. I was in New York already in, in yeshiva. And my father took me along to the Agudas Yisrael dinner. You have to realize that in those days, when I was nine years old, the dais at the Aguda dinner was Ramosha and Rabbi Yankiv and Rav Hutner and Rav Taitz and then Rav Minsker Rebbe and then Rav Minsker Rebbe's father. I mean, there was the who's who of, of America's uh, tzaddikim and, and goinim. That was who was sitting, I don't know. And they asked my father, who was a relatively young man at the time, to be the um, guest speaker. So at that time, it was just when they created something called kosher bubble gum. Uh, the first Chinese restaurant appeared somewhere in the New York area. There were very, very select few restaurants and kosher products were beginning to come out, packaged kosher products. And here in Milwaukee, we were still in the dark ages for probably another 30 years beyond that point, as far as like kosher products went. So, but the, at the time, the atmosphere was a very excited atmosphere about how far we've come. Look at that, we have kosher restaurants. There's kosher bubble gum. There's packaged chal of Yisrael. There, you know, you, you name it, there was all kinds of, they started coming, I remember my, my, my father brought us smoked cheese. You can't imagine what kind of delicacy a smoked cheese was. Chal of Yisrael smoked cheese. So my father raised this issue of, of how far we've come. And then he said, but I wanna tell you that we're, we're planting the seeds of our destruction because Yiddishkeit will only be able to be transmitted from generation to generation if it comes with Messias Nefesh, if it comes with selflessness. Convenience and transmitting Yiddishkeit to the next generation will never go together. He was never asked to come back to speak for the Agudah. But I will tell you that when you walk into the, the stores, the, the Jewish stores, or when you look at what's available online. We just passed Hanukkah. So you can buy uh, Hanukkah, olive oil, mahadrin, little pre-packaged things. And for a few dollars more, it comes with a guy who will light it for you. There's, there's no avoid in it anymore. My grandfather used to dip his own, not forget about making the wicks and pouring in his own olive oil, but he used to make his own shamas on, on Hanukkah. And he had better things to do with his time. It's not like it would, and, and shamas were available. But there's a chashivas in a person preparing for a mitzvah on their own. It, it's a different mitzvah when you prepare for it. And we want to walk into our mitzvah observances. We purchase whatever it is that we want, ready-made, and you go through each yant if there's no longer. I have such fond memories of going through packages of hundreds of hadasim, trying to find the hadas mishulish. Nobody checks through hadasim anymore. Nobody has to choose a lulav. It comes with a hechsher on it, with the mahadrin, shabir mahadrin. And you go through every mitzvah. It's unbelievable. You can, they advertise shamelessly that you can get a pop-up sukkah, no more effort needed. Givaldik. And then we wonder why, why we're not getting anything out of it. What have we put into it? The, the Baruch Hashem, many women are still baking chalas. They're still preparing for Shabbos themselves instead of buying everything ready-made. 
And there is a time and a place for people to buy things. If people, somebody's not feeling well, if somebody just had a baby, somebody's elderly, of course there's a market for it. But in, in, in mass, we, we look at this, the availability of everything. I'm not even gonna start with the Pesach hotels because I don't, wanna, I don't want you to lose your sponsorship. But then we wonder why we're not getting anything out of it. How, how could we? What are we putting into it? Rutersky, I want to tell you the, the pre-made Hanukkah lift that I had to take off the rubbers were very hard this year. It wasn't so easy. Oh, yeah, yeah. My heart goes out to you. Next live question. Wait a second. So where, where do we start? Where do we start? You're talking, you're talking to... Okay, love. so... Good. I think the place to start is not by burdening the women. That's the first thing. That's not... It's very awesome. Very, somebody someone's came to the South Maru. They said to the Sapmiru, by, by me in the house, we don't take any bought products. Everything is made from scratch. So Sapmiru says to him, what about wine? He says, no, wine is not going to be the exception that we buy. He says, I'll tell you why. Because everything else you'd throw on your wife. If you wanted wine, you'd have to do it yourself. And the house is to buy. The Sapmiru didn't let him get away with it. The first area to start with is investing in Torah. There's a, a member from one of the Chassid Shizvam that the the, um, the Chazal tell us about the bracha on Berima Erea Eish. So it says that you now will say, uh, recite the bracha Achi Usul the Oiray. You can't say the bracha on it until you benefit from its light. So he says, the Ur, the, the, the uh, Pesach says, Kiner Mitzvah Vitoyer Ur. The Ur is Torah, the Ner is the Mitzvah. If you want to benefit from a mitzvah, learn about it ahead of time. The opportunity comes for a mitzvah. Learn the halachas. Learn what the Sifri Kodesh tell us. I don't care whether you're chesidish, you name it. There are abundant svarim that we could sit down for a half hour before the performance of a mitzvah and delve into it. It changes the mitzvah. It, it's a whole different thing when you know something about it. it so that, let's start there. And that, in turn, will lead us to want to do more of the physical hachamis on our own. That, that's an automatic outcome of it. But let's start with the Torah. That's, that's, that's not such a great inconvenience. And it's extraordinarily gishmak. I'll bring you proof to it. Most people prepare for the Seder. And most people find that they get something out of the Seder. What a coincidence. Go ahead. Okay, next live question. We have a lot of pending live questions over Twitter, so... Okay, you're on, SMF. Good evening. First of all, grace and thank you very much to the entire Torah Mishpacha for everything that you do for Klai Yisrael. My question is on behalf of the Mishpacha, many times it'll come up when we, at the, we're at the Shabbos or we're at the Yom Tiv table and we'll get into a Hashkafa conversation <clears throat> and all the boys, Kananahar, all of our children are Machshav Torah, they daven every day, they have Siddurim and so forth, but they're saying, and they do Chasadim, they're, they're basically asking, especially the Magefa that we're going through now, as to what we should, what they should be doing differently, that first of all, they know will make a difference, secondly, that they feel what they are doing, the Rabbana Shalom is happy with it, that they would be able to get some kind of feedback in some way, which, you know, brings up the whole Bechira aspect, but basically be able to say, okay, that we're following the right mahalach that's going to bring Simcha Sachayim to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that we know at the end of the day at May Vesrim, we did the right thing. That's a question for a God of Israel. 
So would you be able to elaborate on some level? Because one of my sons is actually sitting right here now. Okay, so uh, I, I will, I will I'll tell you a few thoughts. I just thought that again, I've, I've tried processing. First thought is what I answered before to the young lady who asked about the rejection. So the first thought is to recognize the compliment that's behind, that's behind all these things. And that is that there are a bunch of trusts that we're gonna go looking for him in, in this uh, situation. There's a, uh, there's a miracle of Mezhbish, the Baal Shem Tov's grandson was once walking with a group of chassidim. And he came upon a child who was standing on the side of the road and weeping. He called him over and said, Yingala, why are you crying? And he said to the Rebbe I was playing hide and seek with my friends. And I found a really great hiding place and they couldn't find me. So Rebbe said, well, why would you cry? You won the game. So he said, yeah, but after a while, they stopped looking for me. And the Rebbe began to cry. And he said, you know, the Rebbe Shalom does the same thing. He conceals himself in this world, in the physical world. He conceals himself in, in all kinds of things that happen in our world, expecting us to come looking for him. And all too often, we stop looking for him. So your kids are really onto something. That's number one. Asking the question is already way ahead of the game. So number one, I think that there's, oh, there are amazing opportunities for chesed. There are so many people that are hurting, so many people that are isolated because of this. I spoke to a woman recently who was an almana. She's been alone for every suda, Shabbos, Yontif, Pesach, Shavuos, Sukkot, since March of last year. And it's, you know, the, 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 uh, I've called her occasionally, and it's, it's, it's Kamaiti Sholarov. You can't imagine the mitzvah, the, the easy mitzvahs that the Rabban Shalom is casting our way in, in the realm of chesed. Um, that, those are the easy ones. Um, I think that the harder ones are in the areas of, of Aveda and uh, figuring out perhaps with lists of chaylim that we should be davening, people that we should be davening for. Um, I think that there's a, a tremendous achrayas upon us during this time to be very, very careful with chilol Hashem, with how we are representing both to, to Jews and to non-Jews alike by, by acting responsibly and not doing things that are provocative and, and trying to prove whatever our opinions might be on the matter. Um, but I think asking that question is, is very chashiv. I, I will tell you one thing. I don't think it's ever going to be the same answer to two people. I think everybody is created differently. We have our own nisyonis. We have our own nature. Where there are people who are more inclined to the study of Torah. There are people who are more inclined to chesed. They're, they're, we all have our areas of expertise and we can shine in each one of those areas, but it's not going to be one answer. I think the kids probably know better than we do what they're cut out to do. We just have to encourage them to, to follow what their heart tells them. Yeah, let's jump into a little bit of an interesting topic. It's an interesting question. Let's We're, we're, we're navigating through the share tonight. I have no patience to learn Gemara. I feel like I have no place in the form world. Simple question. That wasn't a question, that was a statement. Okay, it's an observation.
you're over on the fnaiver. You realize that by placing a question like that. So once upon a time, in a faraway land. You signed a disclaimer before you came on, so I'm just letting you know. <laughs> yeah, it's going to help me a lot. Give me a second. I'm just trying to remember the source of this because it was not a chesidish source. We proceeded to see them. I'm almost sure it was a Shevet Musar. Shevet Musar writes, it's quoted by the Arameir um, and by others. He says that every person has a Shoyosh Neshama in a different area of Torah. And he goes so far as to say that if a certain area of Torah is not speaking to you, that you have an obligation to research the other areas of Torah. And he goes so far as to say that the, the person and those who forced him into an area of Torah that he wasn't relating to are a seed and litmus adin, because unless a person accomplishes um, uh, erudition, a, a accomplishment in all four arenas of Torah, and Pshat, and Remish, and Dushan, and Zayd, they are going to be Mugogol again. They're going to have to come back and study those areas of Torah in order to be matched them there, Nisham. Having said that, I think it goes without saying, which is a contradiction, that you can't learn Kabbalah without having learned Gemara. It just doesn't work. Madonna is able to pull it off, but other than her, I don't think anybody can do it. It does. It's not real. It's 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 fake. It's it's artificial. It's probably dangerous. So when a person says that they don't have the geshmak in Gemara, uh, let me let me let me share with you an idea from the Balatanya. The Balatanya in Lukut Torah writes this in several different places. It says an amazing quotes an amazing thing. The pasuk says that Shleim um, Melach shared Shleishes Alafim Mushal, shared three thousand examples, parables, call it um, metaphors. Come Chazal and say not only did it, which is an impressive deal to make to write three thousand Mushalim is pretty impressive, right? Yet he's he adds to that Chazal add Al Kol for every detail in Torah, Shleim HaMelech revealed 3,000 levels. So, you know, when, when they attempted to teach me fractions, it was a dismal uh, project. So they used a, um, a graph, a pie graph, right, to uh, a cherry pie. And you got a quarter and a third and so on, right? So one person looks at the pie and they see the concept of of uh, ratios, and they'll see, um, no, what's it called? Help me out here. But I open by saying it, loss of words. You're getting the idea. Another person is gonna look at the cherry cake and wanna know what kind of pie filling they used, right? And they'll get lost in the cherry pie and they'll never learn the fractions that they were designed, that this was designed to teach them. Shleim HaMelech, says the Baltanya, understood that for every detail in Torah, there are infinite numbers of levels that will be revealed to a person. 
Most of them will not be revealed until the world to come. But Shlema Melech's Gideas HaTorah, his depth of knowledge of Torah was so extensive that every detail of Torah, he understood only 3,000 levels for every detail in Torah. But a person will be privy to infinite levels of Torah. So while the, the concept of learning a Gemara oftentimes doesn't necessarily speak to us at that moment, we must be mindful that we're learning a code. We're learning something that ultimately is going to unlock for us the greatest secrets of Torah in Olam And without them, we're going to be sitting there and not having a clue what they're talking about. So if we're learning Taharis, we're learning Kodshim, we're learning areas that we can't necessarily see the practical applications of them. We have to remember that for every one of those details, there's going to be a vista, an infinite vista of, of incredible displays of, of godly knowledge. Excuse me. So perhaps that person's primary limud should not be Gemara. Perhaps they should be learning halacha. They need to see, they need to explore. But they can't neglect it because it's a chedek of Torah. And due to the fact that it's a chedek of Torah, it's going to unlock for them the greatest of secrets. But let's go back to what we opened with. Is the reason they don't get anything out of Gemara because they failed to recognize that by learning every word and every sentence and every concept in Gemara, they're becoming Davik Bashem? How many times do we sit down and learn for hours and hours and the thought of the master of the world and his mitzvahs never entered our heads? It's a tragedy. It's all about Tvekis Bashem. And if that's not our mindset, of course we're not going to find anything valuable in, in learning Gemara. Okay. I think we have to stop for a second and maybe you can help us understand the Vekus Bashem. I think there are many people who davening and learning, trying their best. And we're back to the first question what are we looking for? And even the answer is the Vekus Bashem. Let's try to make it a little bit more tangible, if possible. Yes. So most people, when they hear those terms, have an expectation of flying high of being filled with some kind of aura that's going to lift them above the clouds. And they're going to be very disappointed. Were there Yidin who, who were flying high every time they were able to fulfill a mitzvah? Absolutely. But they were probably much more similar to angels than they were to us humans. This is a, what I'm going to tell you now. Again, I've, I've heard this from G'day Yisrael and I've seen it in Sifri Kodesh and it's so critical. We dare not limit the definition of Dvekus Bashem to anything that we are feeling. I'd, I'd be so bold as to say that if we're feeling it, it's fake. Go, go take two, two aspirins and call me in the morning. By definition, being Dvek Bashem is something that is so much larger than us that it can't possibly be subject to our feelings. It's a reality, it's a fact. Again, going back to the Baltanya, the Baltanya writes in, in Lukuta Torah that if someone were to give us a chest full of gold and diamonds and jewels, but say to us, you can't open it for another 40 years, would we be thrilled with the gift? We'd be, we'd be overjoyed with the gift. We should understand, he says, that every time a Jew performs a mitzvah, 
that we've acquired the most precious thing in the universe. I, we can't feel it, says we have spiritual cataracts. We can't see it, we can't feel it, but that doesn't take away from the reality of it. When we perform a mitzvah in order to be Dovik Bashem, we are Dovik Bashem. That's a fact. It cannot be subject to our feelings because our, our, we're, we're not in a place where we're able to feel something that is so beyond our experience. That's interesting because it takes it away from the feelings and back to the logic. This is something that we can't look for in feelings. We have to believe and know. Emona, Emona, Emona. This is only logic. It's a different body part. Logic is in the brain. Emona is reality. I'm, I'm taking it away from the emotions. Usually right. we, we look for what we feel afterwards, but you're saying don't look for that. So let me, let me, but let's take it a step further, okay? Because I think this is really important to the subject we're talking about. The minute we have the amuna that that's the case, it's going, if we're, if we're thinking people, we're feeling people, it's going to lead us to a euphoria that's unparalleled. Because it doesn't make any sense that a human being should be able, I'll, I'll tell you, how to, I have a very, I'm, I'm not proud of this, but I'll tell you that this, this happened. Years ago, there was a fellow in our community who used to visit Milwaukee, his name was Forrest Crutter. Forrest Crutter was part of the inner cabinet of Warren Buffett. Day in, day out, he met with Warren. So he was here one time, he used to come to me for Sudas. And I said to Warren, how often do you speak to a Warren? I said, Forrest, how often do you speak to Warren Buffett? So he said, what do you mean? Several times a day. So I remember feeling this sense of, wow, this guy speaks daily several times a day to this fabulously wealthy guy. And I caught myself and I said, I speak to Warren Buffett's creator three times a day and I'm not nearly as impressed. So there's a, there's a gap, there's, there's something missing. And again, it's part of this, I, I think we've been cheated, frankly. I think we've been cheated in our chinuch that we haven't been taught the amazing, incredible privilege of what it means to be Davik Bashem for a single moment. And again, not subject to our feelings. The feeling will come when we realize what we've done. That a puny little human being was able to connect with an infinite creator, that we're able to relate and, and connect to a Bayer Eilam, which is something that has reasonably should never happen, will lead a person to dance on the roof if we really thought about it, if we really appreciated it. So the feeling isn't in the connection. The feeling is in the recognition of the connection. That's where the feeling should come and should lead a person to incredible simcha. Beautiful. Okay. Rabbi Twitsky, I have a bunch of live questions. Let's try to, let's try to cover some live now. Okay, SG, you're on. One second, one second, Robert Whiskey. Try again. SG, you're on. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Did you hear me at all before? No. Okay, start again. Okay, first, I want to say, Rabbi Twersky, I appreciate everything you're saying. I really resonate with, with all your thoughts. Um, it seems to me this Devekas Mitzvah question 
is almost like which came first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing. But in my, my own reaction to the word devakus is clinging to Hashem. And to me, that's almost like a realization in everything we do every, every day to see Hashem's hand in everything that we do. Before, we, when you mentioned about a mother who doesn't have time to daven, and she has to do the mitzvot, but if she sees the beauty of her child and thanks Hashem for the development of her child and just sees all the things around her, isn't that devakus more than just doing mitzvot masios? Not to take away from doing the mitzvot, but I, I think one can almost have devakus separated from the mitzvot. That's it. <laughs> I'm not convinced that that's not a mitzvah. Thank you very much. I'm not convinced that that's not a mitzvah. I don't think you can have devakus outside of a mitzvah. Um, meaning, this gets into a lot of dangerous dangerous territory. Not, not what you were saying, because I think that that is a mitzvah. Being makir and being meidat HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, is a mitzvah. And finding the splendor and beauty of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, whether it's in nature, the Rambam specifically says that a person should go out, look at nature and marvel at HaKadosh Baruch Hu's beauty. A person should lift his eyes heavenward and see who created these things. There's no question that that's a mitzvah. Um, but the, the reason, I think we got it. We, we need to be very careful. Um, when creating an independent, an independent streak, without asking the question. Um, I'll give you a very harsh, severe example because it's it's so absurdly not related to what you were talking about. There was an Avedah Zara that Klal faced at one point called Pa'er. And the way they served it was by defecating upon it. Now, there were some Jews who meant well and wanted to disgrace this Avedah Zara. And the, only, the best method they could think of was by doing that very action, which turned out to be serving the Avedah Zara. So I think we have to be very, very careful in um, substituting. That's that's what I'm really looking for. We, we can't substitute, but certainly what you're talking about, where a person is dealing with their children and they're able to marvel at their beauty, they're able to marvel at their wisdom. Anybody who's ever had an anical knows that you spend a lot of your time marveling at the fact that Akadosh Baruch Hu gave us the smartest children in the universe, the smartest grandchildren, There's, and that you know we're, we're privileged to have the brightest ones. So we have to turn that heavenward. We have to uh, we, we have to be able to thank Hakadosh Baruch Hu for those gifts. So you're absolutely right. That certainly is an example of Dvekus Bashem without taking away from the 613 methods that Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave us. I have a very good friend of mine, one of the biggest uh, like uh, therapists over here. Wants to ask a question. Hi, Rabbi Torsky. Thank you for hosting tonight, co-hosting. Uh, question for you. What do you think, what, what message do you think parents can start to give children differently? Rabbeim, teachers, malamda malamdas, parents can start to convey to the children that's different than what's been going on until now so the children can develop stronger emuna, develop stronger dveikas bashem, rather than, than a lot of the preaching that's been going on in previous generations, we have to, and we, if only we would understand, and if we would only understand the godless, and instead it's making something that's a little bit more uh, meaningful and concrete that children can really appreciate. Okay, Let, let's start with, 
getting rid of Gehenim. I think it's a great starting point. It doesn't work. Um, I, I've heard numerous young people tell me, I don't want to be part of a religion that is based upon, uh, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to get clobbered. It, it, it's an ineffective method. We have to find the place. It's obviously part of the Messiah of Klal Yisrael. It's part of the Ikri Amuna. It's one of the 13 Ikri Amuna. But it's not a motivational Ikri. That doesn't mean that it needs to be uh, plastered all over the walls and, and used as the stick. Um, I, I, again, I would go right back to where we started. The sense of privilege. The fact that I, and I don't think we stand back and, and ponder this often enough. The miracle, and that's not a word that um, can be expressed enough, the miracle that there's a, a situation that a human being has the ability to connect to the Olam and taking it a step further, that the human being has a chance to provide a nachas ruach, ought to be the bedrock of the launch point for, for sharing Torah and with with our youth. Um, Baruch Hashem, I have, the, I have the privilege of having a, a, a Rebetzin who comes from uh, along Messiah. My, my in-laws are both survivors. And I got a call one year, and, and Erev Pesach in our house, as it probably is the case in most Jewish homes, is insane. The hustle and bustle of people coming and going, it's, it's, um, it's wild. I got a call one year from a group that wanted me to come to Puerto Rico to the, uh, what's the name of that hotel? It's a five-star resort in Puerto Rico. They'd provide me with, with everything. I could bring my own food. It would give all the, it would be mamish, the, the, the happening. So I was, I knew that if I wanted to stay married, I wasn't going to Puerto Rico for Pesach, but I was curious to hear what my children's perspective would be. So at supper, that night, I said, hey, guys, um, I was invited to be a scholar in residence in Puerto Rico. You want to go? One by one, the children said we would never give up the insanity of Erev Pesach. They had no interest whatsoever. Midwinter vacation? Absolutely. Pesach? Nothing to talk about. And what I realized is that the bracha that comes along with, with, with in-laws who came from the old country is this, just this, this amazing sense of, of privilege that they, that they brought with, that they brought with them, that, that this is uh, something miyuchad. Um, I once analyzed that I, I called my siblings and one by one decorating the sukkah was something that we all invested in heavily. And it was very simple because for weeks before Sukkot, my father always sat us down. We, we tried some of the most insane art projects to be able to, to create Sukkah decorations. Our house was filled with glitter in our food, on our beds, in our pillows, wherever you looked. Because one year my father had us cut out um, styrofoam letters to do Chaga Sukkot that we were draping across and then and then cover them in glitter. We ate glitter for weeks. But it, it just, it became embedded in us, the, the passion, the excitement. 
we, that's where I go back to this other business. If we're not doing the hachan ourselves, we miss out on so many of these opportunities because it, it's, it, I don't want to call it a family project because that secularizes it. It's not secular. It's part of the Aveda. It, it's, it, it, if we want to be able to appreciate these mitzvahs, we have to put an Aveda into them. And, and we're cheating. We're, we're cheating our, our future generations by giving in to this pre-prepared, um, no fuss, no mess. I had a chavr who wanted to create a, a, a product as a fundraiser for his yeshiva. It was pre-packaged salt water in a little package, just add water and mix, no fuss, no measuring. It's, but that's where we're at. That's where, the, that's where the generation is going. We're into convenience. Convenience doesn't result in future generations wanting to be part of it. And how, how could the yeshivas and the Beis Yaakovs um, somehow add something to their curriculum, again, without talking about, without preaching, but just adding something that makes Yiddishkeit more sweet and more enjoyable, more hands-on, like you're saying. I, I can't respond to that and still um, have a place to stay tonight. <laughs> okay, let's go to the next question. Hold on a second. Let me, let me try doing it kindly. Okay. They should scrap their curriculum and start with a base of the incredible privilege of being Avde Hashem. That should be the base. And from there on, they should continuously add to it. Here's the privilege of what it's going to be to, to learn a Pasuk of Chumash and then to understand it. You see what the Baltania writes in, in Sefer Tanya about why we, we stand in the presence of a Talmud Chacham, that that person has become one with Rebbein Shalom's Torah. There's a unification that happens with Limud Torah that doesn't happen with any other mitzvah. How many people, Bochrim, I had, I had, I had okay. I need a few minutes here, Usha. We had a, a, a group of Bachram who came to the house. Uh, they were fundraising. It's a group of older Bachram, Bishmadish Bachram. So they were here for, for a Shabbos and we got into a conversation. So one of them said to me, um, why don't see them learn? Why don't they learn to her? So I said to him, for the same reason that Rabbi Cutler didn't shake a little of an esrik. So he looks at me and says, how dare you say something like that? I said to them all, it was a group of 10 Bacharim. Have any one of you ever heard anything about Reb Aaron's Nanuim? No, well, then he must not have done it, right? So we're looking back at, at, at Chesidim. I said, the fact that you don't know about it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. That, that's, that's absurd. So now we've created, we moved on from there, we've created a institution called Das Torah, right? Das Torah has now become this all-binding thing that somehow we're obligated to listen to this Das Torah. So I said to them, we had, they were telling me they're from Chaim Berlin, there was, the, there was, was the, these were Lakewood, Lakewood Hever, but they had learned in different yeshivas and they all had different rabbeim. So I said to him, said to the, the Long Beach guy, are you bound by the Das Torah of the Chaim Berlin guy he said, no, I have my own. So, so I said, why don't we call it Chassidim and Rebbes? Stop with the Das Torah business, because it makes it sound really spooky and harsh, and say, I have a Rebbe, and I follow my Rebbe. The danger of this all-embracing Das Torah idea that somehow 
we're all bound by this, and that's the 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 call, is that we've lost a connection with our rabbeim, or we don't even see a need for us to have rabbeim, because I'm under the umbrella of das Torah. There's nothing that can be, that can replace the relationship between a Talmud and a Rebbe, the transmission that takes place between a Talmud and a Rebbe. And don't bother me with what other people say, because it's really not relevant. So that element has also been lost to our generation because of this overreaching of somehow claiming that everybody's bound by this, whichever, I'm not even sure where, whose opinion it is. We got to go back to the basics. I'll put it to you very harshly. We got to bring God back into Judaism. That's really where it's at. We got to bring the Rabbani Shalom back into our practice of Yiddishkeit. And by doing so, we'll engage ourselves and we'll engage our children. Ritorsky, you brought it up a little bit. That was one of the questions I want to jump into. I mean, people that live in Milwaukee probably are more familiar, but for everybody here tonight, where does Das Torah play a role in our lives, practically? So again, I refuse to give in to the term because I don't like it. But let's talk about it on a practical level where that where it's correct. And that is that Aseh Rav demands that we create a Rebbe for ourselves and that we follow that Rebbe's opinion whether we like it or not. Das Torah, if you will, if you want to use that term, is the equivalent of Aseh Rav. And that means that we are called upon to be mevatel ardas. Somebody asked before about what this, this whole matzev with corona is supposed to say to us. This has become a huge challenge. Das Torah has become a huge challenge now during corona because especially now with this new vaccine, whose opinion are we abiding by? Are we willing to be mevatel ourselves in any regard to the, the das of our rabbi when it comes to should I be wearing a mask? Should I not be wearing a mask? Am I going to go into a place without my mask to prove my point? Well, what does my Rebbe say? When I remember years ago when the whole thing exploded with the, with the measles vaccine, it became a very debated issue. And there all of a sudden, everybody had their own opinions and, and my Rebbe just doesn't know any better. He's being misfed information. And it goes on and on. There are numerous examples of that. And we have to be able to find a Rebbe and go with their opinion no matter what the uh, his opinion says, whether we like it or not. And that's a really tough thing to do. We're all thinking people, and we don't like to be mavatl ourselves. Okay, let's go to a live question. Didi, you're on. Hi. Hi, thank you so much. Um, my main question that I want to ask, actually, is how would you... Uh-oh. Hi, could you hear me? Now yeah. we can. Now you could. Okay, how would you advise a couple that are not on the same page in terms of this Tevekas Hashem or doing things, I don't know if I should use the term Tevekas Hashem, but just in how we do things, whether we do things through the motions or because these are the methods we just have to do, or one, one of the couples is more into it, one of the couples is less into it. Um, and how we serve Hashem, how we do mitzvahs, how we learn Torah and everything in our lives, especially with giving it over to children um, when they're going to be seeing a little bit of a mixed message. That's my first thing. 
And another thing I just want to throw in based on some of the conversation tonight, um, obviously you said that it's not a matter of feelings when we have to make a special, but if, if it helps somebody to connect, like I know when I do certain things, um, when I, when I think of Hashem, when I'm doing these actual things, I do have a feeling of, a feeling of connection, a feeling of joy. And that feeling itself pushes me to keep doing it. I show my kids such feelings because I want them to have that feeling as well and to have that motivation to, to have that same type of feeling as well. Um, so my main question was really the first one, but I, I just wanted to bring up the second one because I thought that it was important. But Yes, let me go back to the second one because I, perhaps I wasn't clear earlier. I was not being dismissive at all of somebody's feeling passionate and excited about their mitzvahs. Quite the contrary. If a person has any awareness of what is going on, they will be suffused with tremendous simcha. And that's extremely laudable that if a person can get that intent in touch with this sense of privilege, go for it. And, and you know, it should be done with incredible, with incredible simcha. And I mean, all the other chayin we knew were overjoyed by this opportunity to be able to serve our Kaddish Baruch And that was the sense of simcha. What I was talking earlier, or what I was trying to point out, is that if we're waiting for some euphoric, uh, above the clouds, visions, or whatever it is, then you need to go see some a professional to help you with that. Because... That's I don't I don't believe that that's realistic for anoshim kerikenu for people in in our midst. Going back to your first point, that has to be the story with every couple. There are no two people who are in the same place, and there are no two people who find the same gishmak and find gishmak in the same things. That's just not realistic. We're all going to find certain things that motivate us and move us more than other things. There's no question that that's the case. One person will love Shabbos, another person's going to love a Blat Gemara or a certain Shear. But the what the critical component has to be a God consciousness. That has to be first and foremost. That has to be the ground, the ground level entry point has to be that we're doing this because we could become Davik Bashem. But if they're on different pages? I don't know what that means. One person is denying that that's what mitzvahs mean? Not denying, but that's not their number one. They're just doing, they, they're, they're keeping Shabbos because we keep Shabbos. Listen, I, 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 I don't, I'm not sure what that means. If a person can enrich their Shabbos by having an, a deeper understanding of what it's about, why would they deny themselves that privilege? Or that enjoyment? I don't know. <laughs> you right. should go back to learn this farm. So. Yeah, I, I, it, it, there has to be a way to instill that kind of, of again, with the, probably the way is with a safer. It may very well be the best dates. It would be through. Um, you know, if they're into limadatur, then sh you know they have somebody show them a safer of, of of how how majestic, how beautiful it is, and then it, you can almost use a a being madama milsa the milsa that you could show that if it works here, it certainly could work there. Um, I once heard. I forget his name. I hate when this happens. I'm having trouble with my recall. 
but it was a Godel in Yisrael who has a Down syndrome child. And um, you know who he is? He gives this incredibly popular Dafyemishir in Yerushalayim. Hundreds and hundreds of people. Wiseman? No. Nope. Anyway, bottom line is um, he related that uh, his wife would call him on the payphone in the yeshiva where he prepared. And he related, oh, there's a story behind this. We're not going to get, well, I'll leave that part of it out. But um, what he related was that one day his wife called him and his son was a, a, a larger adult and he needed to be cleaned up and his wife wasn't capable of doing it. So he said to the person who, was, who he was speaking to, he said, every other time, I doubt, I have questions, should I be the guy giving the daf or should I be the guy hanging the signs? So, but there's one time that I have absolute clarity. He says, you know that feeling when we're sitting in shul by Nila and we're saying Shema Yisrael and Bor Shem and, and Hashem Melech. So nobody at that moment has any doubts about where they ought to be. They're very, very clear that this is the place I should be right now. He says, oh, thank you. Rebechel Zilber. Okay. So he said <laughs> that that clarity of knowing that this is where the Rebbe wants me to be right now and that there cannot even be a doubt as to whether I should be there. I had at that moment, there's no other human being who is able to take care of my child the way I care for my child. I had no doubt that that's where Hashem wanted me to be. We're mispalo that we should be able to only fulfill mitzvahs, mitzvah simcha, and archavas adas, and all those things. But wherever we turn, there is an opportunity for us to connect HaKadosh Baruch Hu through whatever opportunity, whatever mitzvah is shaykh at that, at that moment. Um, I think the, the Iker point um, is that we do what we do and it will become contagious. I don't think preaching to one spouse is ever really a great idea. Uh, you, if you're doing that, you got to call Coach Menachem and speak to him about it. But it generally, yeah. So this is a question. I'm in Shaduchim, and I want to marry someone that will learn for ten years. How do I know if I'm really ready for that, or I'm doing it because of what they teach us in high school and seminary? Ay 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 ay. Over Twisky, you know, we, we filter the questions. We, we do research. How come it's not 10 years and six months? How do, they, how do they know 10 years? Her teacher. So let's start by firing the teacher. It, it's just such a ridiculous. The, the premise is ridiculous. The premise, the expectation is now, should should a young lady try finding a husband who's going to learn Torah? No question. She has the privilege of supporting a husband who's learning Torah. Fabulous. I, I don't even know what that means anymore. What does that mean? Does that mean that she's going to be working while somebody else is going to be raising her kids? Is that what the Rabbi Shalem wants? I mean, at what point do we ask the question of us vilgot? At what point do we ask that question? What does the Rabbi Shalem want of us? You should bring in the paycheck. He'll learn. 
and and take the kids to the babysitter. And that's what the Rebbe wants. Taught, is that what they're being taught in the school? We should close the school down. But it, it just, it's a premise that's, that, that's a, a false premise. Am I up for it? First of all, is that a correct ideal? I'll tell you, Maisa, I got into a lot of trouble, which oftentimes I enjoy doing. There was an A-job convention. And Shmuel Kamenetsky, Zogazinsan, and the Havdim Chaim Lachaim, the Novominsky Rebbe, were on the dais. And I don't remember at what point I spoke, but I quoted a Maranayim. And the Maranayim writes, you can look it up for yourself. If you want the Maranayim, I'll give you the Maranayim at some point. Maranayim writes that if the Rabbanish Lailam receives so much Nachas Ruach, from a person who learns the sugya of a machlif para b'chamer. The Gemara talks about a situation where somebody trades a donkey for an ox and, and the ramifications, what happens if the ox is discovered that, it, that they have either an ailment or they have a benefit that you didn't know about. There's all kinds of halachas that go along with it. And as we know, there is no nachas ruach that HaKadosh Baruch receives that's greater than somebody who's harving in, in limud right? We know that's... That's that's a fact. Talmudary connected kulam. Says the Maranayim that if Hashem receives so much pleasure from someone who is learning the sugya of Machlif Parabhamar, how much more so does HaKadosh Baruch Hu receive pleasure for someone who actually trades a donkey for an axe and does so according to the laws of the Torah? And I related to the to this group. They were they were um, of people, and I said to them, "I don't think we can get up in in an honest way and speak to people who are in the workforce and try reaching out to them to join a second class group of people in Klaiso. We have the people who are sitting and learning; they're the first class people, and then we have." kind of a lower class people of the people who have to give in and go to work and that somehow they're really outside of the pale of, of what the Rebbein Shalem wants. And still we can, unless we can teach this Maranayim and have people realize, no question Hashem is operating his world. There are times that he chooses that we can sit and learn Baruch HaVasadas. We could do it. But there is an equal opportunity when Hashem chooses and says to us, it can no longer work. It can't work because it's coming at the expense of your raising your children, or it's not working because you can't make ends meet and you're going into debt. Whatever, the, the, whatever the, it's not important what the cause is. What's important is that Hashem is running his world and he's pointing us in a given direction. And that it, when Hashem makes that decision for us, we have to realize that we can fulfill the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu equally under both circumstances. And it's not a second-class position. Rabbi, first we have two more very strong questions I want to get to tonight. Is that okay? Can we push you a little bit? Where are we? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I'll do this one first. I have two children that are struggling with Yiddishkeit. It hurts me to see that they are not interested at all with what I instilled in them all the years. What can I tell myself about the situation so I have the strength to go on 
and what can we do? What can we do about it in the future? So number one, the fact that parents blame themselves is number one. It's wrong. I think it, it speaks of a lack of Muna. We all know people who are major losers who have great kids. And we all know people who are stars and their children were not going to learn. They're a bunch of running the show. That's number one. For as laid down the um, laid down the law. <laughs> number one, he hasn't given up ownership. This world is run, owned, and operated by a good So that's that's premise number one. So the whole blame thing is useless. It's it's damaging. It it it, it has no value whatsoever. But going forward, if, if we invest in our Shemir Samitzvahs to the point where we're learning and we're doing, um, I'll share with you a story. You know that stories are one of the most effective ways of, of conveying a message. My grandmother, my father's mother, was the oldest child of the Kedusha Sian, the Baba Virov. His father, Reb Shleimel, was the first Bob Verov. My grandmother was a, a, a little girl. And it was Hanukkah. And I believe it was the fourth night of Hanukkah. And she went in. The Chassidim were there watching her grandfather, Reb Shleimel, was making his wicks. And he took the cotton and, and rolled it out and rub, rubbed the cotton between his hands and wept. Tears flowed from his eyes as he was doing so. And as a little girl, she was troubled by the scene. So she went into him and said, Zayde, Fabus Weinstein, why are you crying? So he said to Elijah, I'm crying that you should have a good husband. She was satisfied with the answer. And the next night, the fifth night of Hanukkah, she sees once again, he's crying again. You know, he, the husband, he got her already yesterday. So from the mind of a of a five-year-old, she pushes her way through the chesidim once again and says, "Zayde, fabuz vayn stahant." What are you crying about today? So he said to Lai, "Chahant vayn nechsos hum get the kind." Today I'm crying that you should have good children. I heard the story from my grandmother numerous times, and always I would always ask her, "And Bobby, why couldn't you go in one more night?" Now, he wasn't kidding her. He wasn't telling her he was doing something that he wasn't doing. He was taka. Being misspelled, that his grandchildren um, should have good spouses and good children. At the at her funeral, my uncle Shias Ogazinzan got up and said, and his, the the Levaya was under Shlomo's yotzer. He said to her, "Mommy, you can go up and tell your grandfather that you fulfilled the mission he gave you." The point is, and I think that contained in this message is that our hachan of the mitzvahs, he was, he was being mispalal as he was preparing. He could have a chosid make the wicks. They would have been thrilled to do so for him. That's not what he did. He chose to do it himself because he understood in, in the depth of his being that his granddaughter seeing him shed tears as he was being made into a mitzvah was going to make an impact on her. And she would be guided to America in 1923 to a, a place that, that had very little Yiddishkeit to offer and, and was able to raise spectacular children, Avdi Hashem, because of those tears. 
So not only was it his tefillah, but it was his example. It was the fact that as we are preparing for our mitzvahs, those are moments of, of opportunity of tefillah and, and incredible teaching, teaching moments by example, not by preaching, but by acting. Let's take a live question. Okay, you're on. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, thank you so much. So I need to work on my kavana while fasting. Um, as a wife and a mother of a large family, Kananahara, I, I resent fasting. And this past fast, I wanted to really work on myself. Um, I listened to a shear. I tried to start with good kavana. But um, I just got you know, in the wrong frame of mind and, and resentful by the time it was over. And I want to know how I can get into a better mindset and feel the meaning of fasting more. You came to the wrong place. Um, wow. I'm, I'm jealous of your Sha'ifa. I'm jealous. Robert, Robert, I think she should move to Milwaukee. Um, wow. I, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, that's a really tough one. I mean, I, I could the same challenge take place in other areas of life? Like I'm, I'm overwhelmed by you know, I got Shabbos coming in, in three, four hours and I look what I've got to do and I got to clean up the house and I still have to prepare all the suddhas. I mean, there are many times that we, it's hard to focus on the real purpose because we're overwhelmed. And I think we've got to give ourselves some slack for being human. But to gain a deeper appreciation at that moment when you're you're juggling so much that's really, that's very, very challenging. That's really challenging. Robert, Twitch, we got one question that I got emailed during the share, but I think it's an important topic. I just want to cover it quickly and then we'll go to closing. Is that okay? They got emailed in the middle of the share. It's a story, but let's, let's make it more closed. As someone who suffered severe childhood trauma, I lost my connection to Torah, to mitzvahs, and ultimately to Hashem. I did everything by route, but, not, but my heart was gone. I definitely was missing the point. And the consequences was that I was unable to pass on the connection to my children, and I lost some of my kids as well. How is it possible to give over the Messiah and the beauty of Yiddishkeit and connection to Hashem, not just what we, we do, but why we do it, when I am lacking it myself through no fault of my own? The question is, uh, he, 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 was, he was abused, and he lost his type, his Geshmak Yiddishkeit, and now his kids are, you know, suffered that. But somebody who wasn't brought up properly or whatever, and he can't, doesn't have it in him, but he wants to give it over to his kids. What could he do? He could do what, what I did and move to a community that's based with Bali Tshuva. I don't think there's anything that can motivate a person more than standing among giants like Bali Tshuva. Um, it is one of the most humbling experiences when you're around you know here you're you're supposed to be the one who knows and who's got the knowledge and the, the know-how and you're around people who gave up all the comforts and all the conveniences of life and are, are looking and searching to connect to 
the Bari Olam. Um, I think a person like that, number one, the guilt factor was mentioned three times in that question. That's the first thing he's got to get rid of, okay? There's no purpose to it. It doesn't, it, it goes nowhere. So he should allow himself, okay, you have every right to experience Yiddishkeit the way you're experiencing it. There's no question that, that the damage is done. I, I believe it's uh, one of the Rishonim says that that's why Kibudav Aim is on the side of the Luchas with the Mitzvah Bein Odom Lavakim, not with the Mitzvah Bein Odom Lachavera. Because a person models their relationship with Hashem after their relationship with their parents. And someone who has a difficult and challenging relationship from uh, with their parents is going to have a challenging relationship with, with their creator. Um, having said that, give the, give, giving themselves the allowance to realize that this is a reality, now what? And I think that we got to go back to, to the basics, which is, okay, I, I get even greater credit for reaching out and wanting to have a relationship with the creator. And to that degree, I have a greater sense of privilege and a greater sense of security in, in performing Torah mitzvahs. So going back to the muscle with the, the Navy SEAL guy, um, they just have a more difficult obstacle course. I'm not dismissing it. It's an incredibly challenging obstacle course. But if Hashem gave it to us, we're equal to the task. Let's go to closing. You ready? Who, two people have their hands up. A lot of people have their hands up. We have a lot more questions. Thanks, okay, let's go to closing. First, what? Can I ask? Can I, now everybody's waking up. Okay. First, I want to give a special shout out to Reverend Sian Twersky, the Rav of Milwaukee, to coming on tonight, giving us so much chizik. It was really, really mechazik. Literally hundreds of people here tonight, probably over a thousand people in total. Robert Twisky was powerful, powerful share tonight. It's very deep. I think we're going to have to rewatch it a few times. Um, it was a tremendous thing. Again, tonight's show will be learned. Nishmas, my father-in-law. And so much have a big aliyah from tonight's share for being, helping so many Yidin. Next Sunday, again, we're going to have a powerful, world-famous official chef to come to discuss how to be, give undivided attention to each child when you have more than one children or a large Rishpacha. The world Mechana for officials, so it should be a very powerful share. Uh, again, everything tonight is recorded. It's going to be available on www.menachemburnfeld.com. And any questions can be emailed to Coach Menachem. We look forward to Rabbi Tversky. Rabbi Tversky, if you want to give out any contact information or anything, you could be more than welcome. I will provide that to you. Please provide it to anybody who's asked. I received several requests, but I, I don't know how to use the technology. Okay. Okay, so anybody can email Coach Menachem. We'll forward everything to Rabbi Tversky. Rabbi Tversky will fill up your inbox. Uh, to hear the share on the phone, it's going to be recorded. It's share number 33. It's going to be either on Kalalushan. The number is 718 521-5231, star seven, and the share code is 909310. And also we have another phone number we put it on is 848-777-GROW. Again, I want to give a special thank, uh, thank you to all the advertising sponsors every week that promote us, the Lakewood Scoop, Chazak, Rabbi Yaniv, and a special thanks to Chayla Kaufman and Shulson from JCN, Jewish Content Network for always promoting us. Coach Menachem, closing words. Then you, Rabbi Tversky. Thank you very much, Rabbi Tversky. Uh, I think uh, it was a very powerful share tonight. Most of it is, like you're saying, back to the basics, emuna, to believe. And uh, sometimes we do feel, sometimes we don't feel, but 
if we're looking for the feelings, then we missed the boat. That's not what it is. Much more than that. I just want to end with, we did hear a little bit about the guilty feelings. There's no one that's perfect. And the question is always, when you finish that Shmoyna Esra, and you tried, and you couldn't, and a little bit, yeah, a little bit not, how do you feel afterwards? Because I, I believe many people walk away with the guilty feeling because it was hard, tried, but his mind is all over the place. And you're walking away with the guilty feeling and how, how, how many times do you need to do the same thing feeling guilty and then after all you want to stop. You don't have that good feeling. So I think you need a lot of the Amuna believing that you can even imagine to yourself, Hashem says, my dear son, daughter, I want you to talk to me three times a day or even more. Please talk to me. I know it's going to be hard for you. And Hashem says, you know, you know something when you're ready, I'm going to send you some challenges in life. And I have a secret to tell you, you're going to fail. I know you don't like it, but that's part of the growth. You will fail. You'll try and fail. And the failing itself is the growth. And if you hear Hashem telling you that and knowing that that's your mission and believing that you're in the boot camp, like we heard, and we're being fed all these challenges that we can do and sometimes fail, that's part of our growth. So Hashem should help. We should be able to take what we heard tonight and implement slowly a little bit, if it's a safer, whatever kind, or a which we, a lot of people have to start from somewhere. We'll have to figure it out. And the Mitzvah Shem, we should grow, be able to give over to ourselves and to our kids. Shkoyach again. Whiskey? Okay, so there, I think there was one Nikuda that I neglected. <clears throat> and that was the utilizing tefillah. Um, yesterday, I learned with our Hebra here a, a piece of Divinitur from my great great grandfather who died as a very young man of One of the things that he writes in this piece is that Torah and mitzvahs require uh, he, he does a take off on, on a Maimar Chazal that Shmaitza says that learning requires clarity and he says that Shmaitza Boitzilusa requires tefillah that we can't learn, we can't practice mitzvahs without turning to to assist us. He goes so far as to say that Torah Lishma, that terminology that we throw around all the time, means Torah as its name. The word Torah means to guide us. Torah Lishma means that we learn in order that the Torah will guide us, that that has to be our intent as we learn Torah. And therefore, he says, we say in, in Birchus Krishma, we plead that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should illuminate our eyes in his Torah so that so that we could come to Dvekas in our mitzvah performance. But it requires a tefillah. It requires us to turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So all the work and all the preparation and, and all the mindset that we use requires us to turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in tefillah. We have to plead and beg that we're, we're, we have a Torah that's so vast and mitzvahs that are, there are so many opportunities. We have to turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in tefillah and ask him to bring us success. 
that Hashem should illuminate our eyes in His Torah, so that we can come to Vedabek Libeinu B'mitzvah so that we can come to cleave to Him through His mitzvahs. We should be matzliach and have nachis in our chavas adas and be able to serve Hakadosh Baruch Hu with simcha. Amen. Thank you so much, Rabbi Twitzki. Good night, everybody. See you next week. Same time, same place for official show. Good night.